If you don't treat your finances like it's a business, you're doing it all wrong. Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. What's up, everyone? Excited to have you guys here. I am talking with a good buddy of mine, Eric Rosenberg. He is a money nerd just like myself. He was a corporate accountant and a financial analyst uh, for about a decade until he was able to build a successful business for himself online. His podcast, which I encourage all of you to check out, is the Personal Profitability Podcast. Eric and I today are talking about basically the business of you, treating yourself like a business with respects to your finances. You know, every successful business doesn't just guess on what they're doing or how they're performing. They know what they're doing from revenue sources to expenses for everything, for every product or every customer that they're bringing in. At least that's what you need to do if you want to be successful. And so Eric and I talked today on the business of you. How do we take that same approach in our own personal finances? And the way basically to do that is, is you know, by understanding how you're performing and what kind of reports do you need to generate that and what are the, some of the key metrics. I don't want to scare you guys off because that might sound like it's a lot of work. To be honest, it's really not. There's a lot of free tools uh, that we can put at our disposal to do this. So Eric and I talk through why we do it, how we do it, and then some of the tools that we use to basically get this done. Uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So Without further ado, let's jump in, talk with Eric Rosenberg from the Personal Profitability Podcast on the business of you. Eric, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to chat with you. And this time we're going to get into something us money nerds really love talking about. So thank you again for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, man. So as you know, the show is basically geared for young physicians looking to basically better themselves from a financial standpoint. And I always tell clients when we talk about student debt, look, you really bought a business, right? If you look at it and said, okay, we paid $200,000, we have $200,000 in student debt, and I'm going to make $300,000 a year, I'm just using rough numbers, you essentially paid less than one times for the earnings or the potential to earn that money. And I know we're not excluding taxes and things, but I try to look at it and say, you know, don't look at debt as such a big daunting number that you quote unquote made a mistake. Look at it as a business. And I know that you and I have had some conversations back and forth about treating our own finances like a business. And so today we're going to kind of talk all about our own personal financial situations and how we basically view our own personal finances like a business. So starting there, you know, what are some of the things that our listeners could do to look at their finances more like a business than what they're currently doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, this one hits really close to home for me because my little sister, I think of her as my baby sister, mm-hmm. even though she's grown up now. <laughs> she, she's uh, five years younger than me. She is a surgery resident at a hospital in Virginia. So I actually help her with her own personal finance questions on a semi-regular basis. So this isn't just coming out of left field for me. This is uh, something that impacts my own family and 
you know, that makes it land very close to my heart. Perfect. So doctors out there, I'm with you. I, I know it's not an easy path <laughs> to get to where you are right now, but very bright things ahead. Yeah. Think about that 300,000 number Ryan just mm-hmm. said. So I know all of us wish we were making, you know, if we were all making that level right now, you wouldn't be worried about your student loans, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So like you said, you know, it's important to remember, you know, don't think about your student loans just as, as an expense. I mean, you know, that expense was already behind you. You owe the money. <laughs> it's not going away. But that expense wasn't just like spending money. You know, it wasn't like buying a car or a pair of shoes or or new electronic, whatever you're into, because those things all you know become worth less over time. And just like that instant gratification thing, right? Whereas an education, that becomes worth more over time. So think about it more like an investment than an expense. You know, I didn't go to med school. I went to business school twice, actually. And my MBA program had an estimated cost of $90,000. Mm-hmm. And when I went into it, I knew I wasn't coming out on the other end with, not to knock them, but you know, people who go get a, um, you know, like an English degree or a master's in social work. On the other end of their education, their income prospects are, you know, let's say, 30, 40, 50,000 a year, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. So there you might end up with these huge student loans and no really good prospects to pay them off, looking in the short term or the long term. It's very tough in that situation. On the doctor side, you have a much brighter future ahead, I'd say, and a lot quicker in terms of your personal finances. Because, yes, well, you might be making a 50,000, 60,000 a year right now, which, well, that might feel like a pinch while paying your big student loan balances off today. That actually does put you often in the upper you know, half of income earners already in the United States. So you're already ahead of a lot. And you have that huge payday coming down the road when you finish your residency and you know, become a neurosurgeon or an orthopedist or, or whatever you're going to do on the other side. So no matter how heavy any of this stuff feels, try to stay optimistic because you do have really bright things ahead financially, as long as you stick to that career path, you know, work hard, do well. Otherwise, you know, like any other job, you won't get that good payoff in the end. Yeah. You know, so that's high level. I, I just like to establish that for a mindset. It's really important to think about it like that. If you're just constantly negative and let it stress you out and weigh you down, it will start to weigh you down. So think about it from, you, know, you got to frame it right. Absolutely. And that's a good perspective to kind of carry through to the next part of the conversation. But, you know, when I, when I look at it and maybe I said something that isn't as realistic to everyone, you know, you might be sitting there saying, well, you know, Ryan, I have $500,000 worth of debt. And I'm only going to make $250,000 a year. I can't necessarily relate to, oh, I, you know, I'm going to make more than my entire student loans my first year out. And that's okay because you still basically paid two times revenue for your business and you invested in yourself. So it's like investing yeah. in a business. And Eric, I mean, you could talk about this, but valuations on business, I mean, it depends the industry and everything, but paying something two to four times forward earnings is still relatively cheap, you know, when you're looking at it from a high level approach. So even though we said, oh, maybe it's, you know, one to one or even less than that, even if it's two to one, you're still sitting in an okay position. Oh, yeah. Anyone, really any doctor you're probably going to come out ahead financially. You're going to do okay, even if the numbers aren't as uh, rosy as the ones that we painted at the beginning. Yeah, I really think 
you know, if you look at it, there's companies like SoFi, which they're a big student loan refinancing lender, and they also do mortgages and some other stuff now. And companies like that are actually like lining up trying to do student loan refinances for people like doctors just because of what you said, because that future earnings potential is so good. They know that ultimately a bet on a doctor in terms of a loan or something like that will pay off. So if a company would rush to hand you money, which I bet you as a doctor, you um, find it a lot easier than most to get a mortgage and other things like that, you're going to be in good shape. You know, as long as you don't make horrible decisions along the way, which is what the next tools I'll talk about are designed to help you do is avoid making those bad decisions. So you can really leverage that income you have and your career earning opportunity to build the life that you want and ultimately the retirement you want way down the road. Mm -hmm. So the tools that I love to do that are really the three biggest tools used on Wall Street to look at a business or judge a business. And those are ones I call the personal financial statements. I actually have a blog post about it. Maybe, Ryan, you can drop a link to that in the show notes. No, absolutely. A, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes at financialresidency.com. Awesome. Yeah. So the three big financial statements that you know an accountant would use, this actually takes me back to accounting. It wasn't called Accounting 101, but it might as well have been you know, introductory business school accounting. Mm -hmm. The three big financial statements you learn about are the balance sheet, the income statement, and the cash flow statement. Mm -hmm. And for today's discussion, I think focusing on the balance sheet and income statement are probably going to be the two most valuable. Uh, so what the balance sheet does for a business is uh, think about it kind of like a net worth statement. So what that means is it's a big list of all of your assets on one side and then all of your liabilities on the other side. And ideally, what you have, your assets, is more than your liabilities. And by measuring how that bottom line number, your net worth, changes over time, that equates to what on Wall Street we would call shareholders' equity which means if they decided to liquidate and sell everything today and pay off all their loans, how much would be left over? There's no shareholders in you. Obviously, you're a person, not a business. So you are the shareholder. So you think about that as equity in yourself and your own finances. So, you know, and it's very common early on in your financial career, you know, especially right out of school. If you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in med school loans and maybe even some loans from undergrad before that, there is a very good chance you will have a negative net worth right now. And in business, that's usually a very bad thing. That's why like Tesla has been in the news a lot lately. Not that residents have a lot of time to watch the news. <laughs> but yeah. if you do, Tesla has, has made some bad headlines lately because ultimately they're not performing and selling as well as everyone expected. And they have tons of debt, like $10 billion of debt, which is a lot more than they have in assets they could easily just pay off. So there's some worries about Tesla's you know, viability going forward. But mm. unlike Tesla that's struggling to produce cars, you just have to show up to work every day and do a good job and that income will start to rise. So when you look at your balance sheet, remember that's just a snapshot in time, which I recommend updating it. You know, I like to do it once a month for myself. I update my net worth every month that I have for about 10 years, that's probably a little bit of overkill for, for most people, especially mm -hmm. if you're a busy doctor. But maybe every quarter or every six months, it'd be a great idea to put one of those together. 
And it's actually a lot easier to do. You know, don't be afraid when I use the word spreadsheet or Wall Street. There's actually apps that will do it all for you for free, and they make it really easy. Uh, one that I use myself is Personal Capital to do that. Others you can use are like Mint.com. Um, there's one called YNAB. You need a budget. That's really more focused on budgeting than asset tracking, but mm-hmm. that is a feature. Or there's another one that I like called NetWorthShare.com. Hmm. And all that website does is net worth tracking. And it does it in a kind of a fun community way. So you can see how you compare to other medical professionals or other people in your age range. You know, there, there's a few different ways you can slice and dice the data to see how you compare. So that's what I like. And I've been using that one for over a year now. And before that, I used a predecessor that it was modeled after. So net worth share is probably the easiest way to put that together without any big you know, overhead commitments. That's fascinating. And I'll have to uh, go check it out. That's something that I, I didn't know. And, you know, I, I used to use mint.com way back when, even probably when I first started, just because I, I liked it. And then I've kind of graduated up. And uh, since I've been running my own financial planning business, I have some really heavy duty software that clients and I use. But from the standpoint of not working with an advisor, I think personal capital is probably the best software out there right now. But just be aware that you will get a call from them (laughs) trying to pitch you to invest with them. And you do not need to do that. And it's really frustrating that they do end up doing that. So the software is amazing and it's a really good marketing pitch. And then I'm sure that a certain percentage that they end up getting in there will end up selecting to open up accounts and kind of run with them as like a robo type platform. But you do not need to do that and just tell them when they call the first time, like, hey, I'm not interested. I just want to use the software. Please don't call me again. And I think I had to say it twice, but then I I never got called again. So uh, I'll respect it. They're they're a good company. They're good people. I've I've gotten to know, thanks to FinCon, they actually have a big office in Denver where I grew up, which is kind of fun. I've I've known some people who've worked there. And yeah, so so exactly what you said is right. The, The software is totally free to use. I've been using it. I think since it came out, since it was brand new. And I've also used Mint since 2007 when that was brand new. Yeah. Um, yeah. Personal capital is definitely the best for understanding where your investments lie and where they are today. And, you know, to the investment service they provide, I think it's pretty good. There are cheaper ones out there. So if you do want professionally managed money tools where you're not working with a financial advisor like Ryan, if you want to try to do it yourself, there's cheaper ways to do it than personal capital. So keep that in mind when they call you up. They really like people who have more than $100,000 in investable assets. So if the total of all of your stocks, bonds, and cash are more than 100000 when you sign up and link your accounts, expect that call really quickly because they'll be excited to know you're there. Yeah, they'll, um, be, but, they'll be pretty stoked to see someone coming in and, and especially when they flag you as a physician. Just like the rest of the world, they see dollar signs. Nothing personal on them, right? But <laughs> they're going to see that you mark down you're a physician and all of a sudden it's dollar signs in their eyes and they're going to be calling you guys. So you know, that should make you feel good as a doctor. Like it you, should, you, but also, I mean, at the same time, <laughs> I mean, you know how this works, right? They end up getting targeted by anyone and everyone. You get in an accident, oh, you're a doctor, oh, my back hurts, right? Or, you know, oh, you yeah. walk onto a car lot and you want to buy a car, they find out you're a doctor. All of a sudden, they're not as willing to negotiate because they know ultimately you probably could afford it. So, you know, just be careful out there. But still, I don't want to detract from it is actually a really good piece of software. I'll link to it in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Eric, as you were kind of going along, and I didn't want to interrupt you because you had a really good flow going, 
you mentioned some things um, when you're talking about the balance sheet that I do want to just address. So you mentioned assets and liabilities. So assets for those listening are things like cash in your bank account, stocks and bonds. Those could be in a taxable account or they could be in a tax advantaged account. Think like your 401k or an IRA. It would be your home and what your home is actually worth. On the liability side, you'll be putting in what you actually owe from a mortgage standpoint. So, you know, we actually get the right equity number, right? And hopefully you are you have positive equity. If you'd have bought in 2007 and you looked at this in 2010, you probably didn't have positive equity in your house, but now you should. The market's rebounded quite nicely. You know, you could look at personal property, you know, which you know, could be furniture or art or your sofa and things. I tend to not put that in there. Or if I was, I would look at it as like, what could I sell this on Craigslist for in the next week? And probably yeah, I, realize I, I agree. We, we paid a lot of money for a sofa that, you know, is probably worth a hundred dollars kind of thing. I'd only so, account something that you own if it's something that you would and could realistically sell. So I don't put furniture and stuff like that. I do include our cars because that has absolutely. a very clear value of what we could sell it for. And maybe a couple art pieces around the house I could argue to put on uh, because I know there's a market for it. I could get you know, $500 or $1,000, whatever the market value is for those. But your old TVs and couches and things. Yeah. If you don't want them, no one else probably wants them. For yeah, that I mean, especially either. technology, right? I mean, it's improving like every minute. So, and if you can find anyone to uh, buy the art at my house for five hundred or thousand, I'd be stoked on it because it's just pictures of me and my wife and the kids. So, I don't like well, anyone's very good looking family. I mean, so. they carry me. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I have two Michael Goddard paintings, and he's a Vegas artist, so he, he comes out of your town, and yeah. uh, those are worth five hundred dollars each. But it's funny, they have not appreciated in value at all. They're pretty much worth exactly what I paid for them. But hey, that's still an asset, right? Technically, yes. And if you enjoy it, I mean, there's things and we can kind of go into it a little bit, um, into a tangent here. But, you know, if it makes you happy and you have all the other stuff that you've kind of set aside, you've put money in your retirement accounts, you've saved for, you know, some of the other goals that you have and you have money left over and that kind of stuff really excites you and makes you happy. And when you're in your office working and you like it, absolutely make the purchase. And technically it is an investment, maybe not the best, but it also has some emotional tie to it. So, you know, I love it. But yeah, I mean, when you're looking at it from a financial standpoint of we're updating our net worth and our balance sheets, you need to be realistic. I always tend to be more conservative in things like that. But, you know, we talked about the cars. You can go to kellybluebook.com and easily run what your car is worth. I would do that probably every three to six months is when I would update my own. I don't update it monthly, even though I'm a kind of a money nerd, I'd end up getting so that's too even busy. more than me. I do it once a year. <laughs> I look at everything in like a quarterly basis. So everything is three to six months. So, and then, you know, there might be other assets that stick on that kind of side of the balance sheet. And, and then on the liability side, you guys are obviously going to be well aware of student debt. You're going to be well aware of home mortgages but there could be, you know, obviously credit card debt, you have a car loan, you could have taken out a personal loan to cover maybe some of the credit card debt you had coming out just to get it at a lower interest rate. There's all sorts of things that can sit on that side of the balance sheet. You need to be really aware that you're capturing everything to get the most accurate picture. So if you're going to sit down and do this, you can almost literally write a T and on the left side of the T, you know, you're writing your assets and on the right side, you're writing your liabilities if you didn't want to link up accounts and do everything at a place like mint.com or personal capital. 
So and that's another perk of net worth shares. Your accounts that are not linked. Oh, okay. Um, so there's no real security risk. How I fill that out every month, I actually open it on the first of every month. And on one screen, because I have two screens on my computer, because that's what I do all day, I sit on the computer. Yeah. On one screen, I'll have my uh, net worth form to do the input. And on the other screen, I'll open up Mint or something like that, personal capital, where I can get those numbers from. Another one that I really like that I hadn't mentioned, which has less of that focus on investments, so it's not quite as uh, in-depth there as personal capital, but for a light budgeting and just quick check-ins on my money, lately I've really been enjoying Clarity Money. Hmm. And that's a newer app that they were just announced to have been bought by Goldman Sachs. I don't know if it'll oh. be around forever. Oh. But it makes me a little nervous that my favorite app will go away. But for right now, it's still out and it's a good one to use. I like that one too. Okay. Well, that, no, that's good advice. And I'll, I'll definitely check that one out before I toss in the show notes as well. So, um, you know, make sure that it's still there and it's still a, a good app. So we've talked about the balance sheet and, and really about what it is and, and kind of why we create one. And what we haven't really touched on, Eric, is once we've done this, I almost want to call it due diligence, right? Because it's going to take people some time to set this up. It's not like it's a 10-minute exercise. Once we start updating and you have it all built, it's a 10-minute exercise. But in the initial, it's really not. Once it takes we a little have it, longer. Up yeah. So sure. once we have it created, what do they do with the information? Great. Yes. I'm glad you asked. So as I mentioned briefly, your balance sheet is a snapshot in time. So what it looks like today might be very different than what it looks like tomorrow. And just to compare yourself to some like actual big public companies, just a fun thing. Every public company has to release their financial statements. It's the law. If you want to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, the big stock markets, you have to be a, you know, release all that information. So you can go to pretty much any big company's website. You can just Google it and find their balance sheet. So that'll give you an idea of what a business's balance sheet looks like, just so you know to compare, which is also kind of fun. And you know, let's say there's a company that you really like, that you're, you like either because you're a customer or just you think it's a neat company, like, I don't know, Google or Amazon or whatever you're into, Walmart. I'm just shouting out companies now. WWE, if you're into pro wrestling. So we went from <laughs> Google, Amazon, and then to Walmart. I love it. Totally. Hey, your Walmart and Amazon, they have a lot more in common than they really uh, do. these days than they don't in, in a lot of ways. It's they interesting. Really but you know, how you look at any of these companies, what's fun, you can look at their balance sheet from a year or two years ago and compare it to their balance sheet today and see if they've gotten to a better position or if they're in a worse position. And ideally, you know, you'll want to see that bottom line number, that net worth number keep going up and up and up. And one of the biggest influences on whether that number is going to go up and down is what I call the personal income statement. And that is, you know, just like there's a, a balance sheet for companies, there's an income statement for companies. Uh, small businesses will often call it a P&L or profit and loss. So like my business, I run it as a, I'm an S corp in California, which means I'm working as a corporation registered with the state, not as an individual under my own name which in your future as doctors, if you go into your own practice, you'll definitely do something like that. You'll definitely want to for legal reasons and financial reasons, but we're not going to get into legal stuff in here. You'll talk to your lawyer about that, not me. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah good, the, good little um, quick disclaimer there. Yes, yeah, that's, that's all it was important stuff. You know, and same with taxes. Anything with taxes and legal things, if you ever have a doubt, it's better to talk to someone who really knows what they're talking about. Don't just guess 
because you could guess wrong and it could cost you a lot of money. But coming back to that income statement, yes, yeah, so I make a P&L for my business every month. I use a actually a program called QuickBooks. That's an accounting program that does it for me. But then I also look at my personal income statement, which lines up to the B word in personal finance, Ooh. a five-letter word a lot of people are afraid of. I think it's five letters, isn't it? No. Six-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Can you believe that I used to do math for a living? He, he's a math guy. Work. He's not a, yeah. a letters guy, apparently. <laughs> I'm a writer. You'd think I'd be able to marry the two. So a six-letter oh, B word. That word is budget. Yeah, so a lot of people are afraid of budgets. They think budgeting is this like bad, horrible, scary thing. I had this ex-girlfriend once who, you know, I was a, a new finance blogger, and I was trying to get her to do a budget for herself. And she like cried when we started talking about a budget. Like a budget doesn't restrict what you spend. It is a guide that you create for yourself on how much you are willing to spend. So um, it's a little way to think about budgets. It's not a restrictor. It's like a guide. And because you said it yourself, it should never feel you know horribly restrictive. But you know, to go beyond what a personal budget looks like, if you look at a business's income statement, at the top section, you're going to see revenue and revenue-related items. So revenue, in our case, it's our income. That's our paychecks. Or you know, I'm assuming if you're a doctor, you're not side hustling because you're already really busy working like 26 hours a day and doing like 90-hour shifts and those crazy things they have you yeah, guys do. Believe it or not, know. it's different. It's not freelancing like how you think, but it's moonlighting. So they'll end up taking on extra shifts in order to do it. So it's pretty remarkable. I mean, I'm always in just in awe of the people that I work with and our friends who are physicians that not only are they dealing with the work that they do and it's not easy work at all, they Wiping on top of that, they go in <laughs> they go in moonlight and take on extra shifts for additional income. And if they're in touch and in tune with their money, most of them are throwing it at their student debt that they've refinanced. And it's just fascinating, you know, that they, they're doing these things. Sometimes, you know, I end up coming across a physician that isn't doing that. But for the most part, it's just remarkable. So, yeah, they, they end up actually do the equivalent of freelance is what you're, you're kind of calling it. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. moonlighting. Yeah. So at the top of that income statement, um, that's all those revenue and income parts that we were just talking about. Um, yep. And then below that are all of the expenses you have. Now, because you're a doctor, you know, you might have some work-related expenses on there. Uh, a lot of people won't have that. But if you're buying, like my sister had to get some of those super expensive surgery glasses that like magnify you when you're like looking at people's organs that you're cutting open or, or whatever you doctors do in surgery. Nice. <laughs> like those, because it was a direct work-related expense or like a stethoscope, something like that, if it's not provided from your employer you're going to want to list that for taxes as well. So remember, there's extra benefits you can maybe get as a doctor too. But you know, at a higher level, you're going to see you know, income at the top, expenses at the bottom. You'll probably want to include student loans in there, even though you could argue you know, a business wouldn't put that in the income statement. They'd put a loan payment on their cash flow statement. Mm -hmm. So only part of it would be considered an expense on the income statement. So yeah, it won't look exactly like a business. I know that was getting probably a little bit in the weeds. It's income and expenses. And the difference between the two is what you get to keep. And that number raises or lowers your net worth on your balance sheet. So your income statement is for a period of time, not a snapshot in time. So you could look at it for a month, 
or a quarter or six months or a year, you know, however you want to slice and dice it, you're able to do that with an income statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's great info. So we know why they're creating this. How do they determine how well they're doing once they've created this? Yeah, so the biggest things you're going to want to look at first um, is the number at the bottom, a positive number or a negative number? Because at the end of the day, pretty much every personal finance lesson can be boiled down to one line, spend less than you earn and save and invest the rest. So spend less than you earn is what you're going to find out if you're doing here. If you're spending more than you earn, you need to change that like right away. It's mm-hmm. not sustainable to spend more than you earn. And then the thing that I like to look at, because everyone's income and expense situation is different, you can't just say this number is good and this number is bad, aside from if it's higher or lower than zero. <laughs> but assuming it's higher than zero, what I like to look at is the trend over time. So if I compare the first three months of 2018 to the first three months of 2017, did I make and keep more than I did the year before? And if that trend is getting better and improving over time, then I know I'm doing the right steps in my finances. There's you know, so many moving parts in your income and expenses that can change things. Things ranging from your tax withholding that you have some control over but not total control over, your student loan payments, your rent or mortgage. Some of those are big costs, a car payment, which I know it's really exciting as a doctor to go get a new BMW. Car payments are horrible. You do not need to have one. My car is 10 years old. I'm a better person for it. And I have about $100,000 more because of it. You're fine. I'm, I'm a better it. person for it. I love that. That's standard, <laughs> Eric. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, an, an aging car is a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. It's not like you're driving to a construction site and everyone's into cars and trucks and they see what you drive up in. Most people don't know or care what you drive. So as long as it gets you to where you're going and back reliably, that's all that matters. Safe car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, like When I got my 10-year-old car, I wanted the safest one possible of the lowest cost cars, also reliable. So I got a Toyota Corolla, but I got the nicest Corolla. So I got like the side curtain airbags and, and all those important parts because... You're like airbags, yes, like that is important. Yeah, let's <laughs> like, get some airbags. Doctors could understand the uh, importance of safety features in a car more than most people. Absolutely. So, yes. Eric, so we're looking at it from a high level here. We've got our income, we mm-hmm. take out our expenses, and we've got our net income. And as we start to do this more often, the first time you're not going to have anything to compare it to. But as we do this more often, whether it's every quarter, every six months, every year, however they want to look at it, You want to see a trend going up. Now, I can kind of hear questions kind of coming in. So one of the questions I know is probably being asked is, well, in the expense category, am I including things like my investments? Am I including things that, you know, would be stuff I want to save that we went and took our trip and, you know, our annual Hawaii trip. And that was an expense that kind of kicked in if let's say they're doing this monthly and they had a negative month, but they had been doing the diligent thing and saving the whole time, you know, how can we address maybe a few of these extra things that maybe we didn't discuss yet? Sure. Yeah. So there's a few different philosophies for how to handle a couple of the different situations you mentioned. So I'll mention also another app that we haven't talked about yet. YNAB, Mm -hmm. you need a budget. And that's another great budgeting app. It's not free. 
like everyone we've mentioned so far is free. This one is, I think, $5 a month or $60 a year or $50 a year. They might do a discount if you do a one year up front. But it's free for over a month to try it out. So you can get your feet wet with it without spending any money to decide if it's right for you. What's cool about YNAB is it uses a philosophy of every dollar gets a job in your budget. So the income statement, you're really looking at, you know, it's backwards looking at what you have earned and spent. Whereas the YNAB approach, you're also looking forward at future dollars you're going to earn and you assign each dollar a job. So that job might be, you know, helping with housing or health insurance or, you know, some other recurring expense, you know, your cell phone, whatever. Some of those dollars are going to be going into future expenses like you know, maybe you're saving up for a big trip to Thailand next year or maybe you know maybe you have kids and you're saving up for the holidays throughout the year. Maybe you want to put away $20 a month for a present fund or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if then in December or November when you go spend all that money, it's going to if you look at that month in a nutshell, it might look like you spent more than you earned for that short period. But that's why I like to you know, look at income statements over longer periods of time often and compare year over year rather than just month over month. Because if you, you, know, you want to save up for something in the future, that's a good thing. You know, having goals and savings and working towards those goals, I would say in general in finance is a, is a good thing. You, know, you don't want to try to save up mm-hmm. for goals that are you know, not good financial goals. And you know, ultimately a vacation's only going to cost you money. You know, most things you're saving for are expenses, so they're not going to give you any long-term benefit back. But you know, that's okay. That's why we go to work. It's okay to have things you enjoy and spend on things you enjoy as long as you have budgeted for them and can afford them. Actually, there's a quote. I quote her a lot. Actually, she's another Las Vegas finance blogger in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Paula Pant, her site is Afford Anything. She has this great quote that I wish I'd come up with myself. Yep, <laughs> it's, uh, I agree. You cannot afford everything, but you can afford anything. And that just says it all to me. You know, it, it's so true. Like, let's say your big thing in life is travel, which you know, for me, travel is a huge priority. You know, that's okay. I can spend money on travel. It's just how can I afford that travel? I either have to earn more or shift around my spending so I'm cutting spending somewhere else to make sure I can afford that. You know, like I really don't care about TV all that much. I canceled TV. Uh, I had cable through 2011. I canceled it. And now, geez, it's coming up on a decade. But I used to pay $70 a month to Comcast to sit and watch TV of which about a third of the time I was watching commercials anyway. I can complain about TV all day. <laughs> but when I canceled I my cable, you know, my life got better in a bunch of ways. You know, one, I, I started going out and being social with humans more often. One, it gave me more time to do things that I valued more, which for me was working on my business. But it also saved me you know, $70 a month, which over years, that's been, at this point, last I added it up, it was over $5,000 I'd saved that I could have spent on TV. So $5,000 of savings, you know, I could, if I were hosteling it or you're going super budget, I could spend a month or months abroad with that savings. So don't think about, you know, what constrains you from reaching your goals. If, if they're expensive goals, just think about what do I have to trim or shift around in my priorities to reach those goals? Because when you look at your budget, when you look at that income statement, ideally you're going to have some details broken out. 
on where all of your money has gone by category. And a lot of people, I find the first time they do a budget, they get a big wake up call and a big surprise because these apps, like we've mentioned, you know, personal capital and others, they will automatically categorize your spending if you use a credit or debit card and link that. When you look at your spending, you might say, whoa, I spend twice as much at restaurants as I thought every month, which is very common, particularly for millennials to spend a lot of money at restaurants. I mean, most Americans, it's very common to spend a lot at restaurants. Mm -hmm. But if you're spending more at restaurants than you realized, okay, so now you realize it. Now you understand it. You can make that decision. Is going to restaurants worth this much money to me? Or is there something I want more than going to a restaurant? Or maybe I just want to go to restaurants less often so I can go to a nicer restaurant on occasion. You know, it's up to you. It's your money. That's why it's called personal finance. It's personal. There's no 100% right or wrong. It's just making sure you can afford the priorities that are important to you. And if you can't afford those priorities, it's about making whatever adjustments you need to make, which I'm guessing for a doctor, they're not going to be that big in the long run. In the short run, they might pinch a little more when you're still in your residency, but you probably don't have that much time to spend much money when you're in your residency anyway. Yeah, time is always a factor for them. But you brought up a good point here, Eric, and I actually look at it and talk to my clients on this and say, there's a lot of things you can do with your money. And some of your money is assigned already. And what I'm talking about is fixed expenses. If you earn $100, Hopefully your fixed expenses aren't more than 50 or 55% of, of your actual spending, your take-home pay. But that still means that let's say it's 50, $50 of that $100 is already spent. Whether it's rent, student debt, you know, mortgage, TV, internet, cell phone bill, whatever it is. Things that are recurring that are automatically coming out of your bank, that's already spent. So now you got $50 left. Hopefully you're spending 25 of that on paying yourself first. And what I mean by that is actually saving money in your IRA, saving maybe additional money in your taxable account, saving money for the, you know, the one or two trips that you really want to go on if you're a big traveler or if you needed a new car, things like that that you're saving for specifically. And then hopefully it's 25% or less is going to be kind of that variable spending. And I know that it's like one of those common memes out there, we'll stop buying the Starbucks and you'll become wealthy. Well, you know, probably not. You should look at your fixed expenses first. It's the avocado toast. Oh, sorry. The avocado. <laughs> I can't even keep up now. But you know what I'm saying? Like you look at your fixed expenses first because that's the biggest bang for your buck. And there's like really the kind of like the big three, right, that you have. But if you can lower those and make sure that you're not spending too much money on the fixed side, then it opens up and says, okay, well, I've kind of paid myself first. And not only does that mean investments, that means some of the goals that I want. And when you're putting things into perspective and saying, well, the things that make me really happy, the things that I really want to do or experience or own, whatever it might be, everyone again is different, but whatever it is that makes you really happy, that becomes a yes. And it should make it a whole lot easier to say no to all the other things that don't make you as happy to what you're going to say yes to. So as you kind of work through, and I think YNAB can help with this, even just good old fashioned Excel. If you really want to do it, if you want to upload everything into personal capital, you could. All these tools will help you kind of get there, but you're ultimately going to need to make the decision of what is it that actually makes me happy? I know that in town here, you know, the Raiders are coming and I don't know if you've caught wind of this or not, but you know, they're building this nice billion dollar stadium and all these things. And, and they laid it on all this, you know, new season ticket holders 
that there is going to be a cost to entry and upfront fee that is just to get you in line to buy a ticket. I think it's ridiculous, but if someone is a diehard Raiders fan and that is exactly how they want to spend their money, that is the most important thing to them. Yeah, it's probably not the best financial decision, but if that brings them the most happiness, then they should say yes to it. But what are they going to have to now say no to? You can't just say yes to everything, right? It's kind of like that. You can afford anything, but not everything. You can afford potentially the Raiders tickets, right? But what are you giving up? Are you going to have a not as nice of a house? Are you not going to upgrade your car in the next few years? Are you not going to take a couple of vacations that you typically would have taken, but that money now got used up to go buy the Raiders ticket? And just for the record, we're talking like the entry fee is like fifty or $75,000 to buy these things. It's absurd. What do these people do? I don't that know. They could well, I mean, I know a lot of like casinos are hundred grand on football tickets. I know a lot of like casinos are buying stuff up, but there's a lot of people that are here buying them, and it's kind of the talk in town right now. And I'm just like shaking, going, <laughs> I couldn't do it, even if even if it was the Chiefs that came, and that's my team for football. Even if it was the Chiefs, I couldn't comprehend it. But you know what? If that makes someone truly happy, you know that's their number one thing over a nice house, a nice car, traveling. As long as they're getting their investments together, you know, and it's kind of doing the right thing and saving the right stuff. If that's how they want to spend their excess money, who am I to tell them that's a bad idea? And I think I would a, never do that. But I mean, I, I wouldn't guess either, more power right? to you if, if uh, you love the Raiders that much. Absolutely. Right. And, and that might be your travel, right? Maybe they yeah. hate traveling. Maybe you love traveling and that's the equivalent of it. And I know the dollar amount is all kind of relative, right? If you're making 50000 a year, you can't comprehend this. If you're making 500000 a year, you could easily comprehend how this could work. So I don't know. If I'm making $500,000 a year, I'm still not going to spend $100,000 on football. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, that is <laughs> not, guess, that's yeah, that's not me, what you're saying right? yes I, to. I spent $7,000 a couple of years ago to get my pilot's license. A lot of people would think that's ridiculous and a stupid use of money. But I think it's so cool because I can fly an airplane. Yeah. So, so maybe the number is a little me, bit bigger. If I would have said, hey, the Raiders tickets were 7000 and you would have went like, no, but I want to go get my pilot's license for 7000 Like if we just made the dollar amount equal. Yeah. See, then, right? yeah, it's, it's prioritization. That's yeah. what, and that's really what it's about. And that's it exactly could even, what it's about. Like you mentioned coffee. It's really easy to pick on coffee. Like yeah. if you really love your, your daily Starbucks enema, go for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, if, if that's, you think if it's that's worth your... five dollars a cup of coffee, and that's your thing, and you love your flat white or mochaccino, or I don't know, I'll just make Whatever. up some random coffee. It probably is a coffee, even if you think you're making it up. But yeah, if that's <laughs> if that's your jam, like if that's what you really love, and that actually makes you really excited and puts you in a better mood and and gets you going, like by all means, do it. But Which there's what are you something going to not else spend exactly. to have that five dollars for the coffee, and also remember. Something that we're all susceptible to is the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Everybody looks at the next guy over whatever their friends into and they want the same stuff. You know, it's just human nature to yep, want to keep nature. up and compete with others. But don't keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses probably have $10,000 in credit card debt. Or so more. forget about the Joneses. It's about what you think is important, yeah. not what anyone else thinks is important. Exactly. It's what makes you happy. Right. And, yeah. and clearly we know Eric, it makes him happy to get his pilot license. And it could be that someone here in town, it's not the pilot license, it's Raider tickets. And a lot of doctors would probably say that that was an even worse use of money because it could be dangerous. 
And now it's time for the curbside consult. Our listener here today, let's say, is a resident. And they're like, you know what? What Eric is talking about, I really should start this now. What are some helpful tips or tricks that you would have as advice to this person wanting to actually do this for the first time? Just start. It is so easy to get stuck in analysis paralysis mode because, you know, like we talked about four or five different apps today that could all more or less help you do a similar thing. So you might get stuck thinking, oh, which one's right? Which one? And all of a sudden you just don't do anything. Like just pick one and enter your info. You know, even if you're working a 24 hour shift or whatever you're doing, a lot of these apps you can just download for free on your phone and get started. It takes 15 minutes. Let's say you have one investment account, uh, credit cards at two different banks, and you know, bank accounts at two different banks. That's five accounts to connect. You could probably be set up in 10 minutes-ish. Mm-hmm. So just do it. You know, Don't wait and schedule hours of time. You don't need hours. You just need you know, 15 minutes and you can get started. Perfect advice. So essentially, you know, link up accounts, let it start running and collecting that data, if you will. And then maybe when you have a little more free time, you can jump in and start kind of analyzing the data and min-maxing it, I guess you could call it, and trying to get a little more in-depth on it. But just start. I think it's great advice. So Eric, where can our listeners uh, hear more about you, listen to your great show that I absolutely love, and uh, <laughs> read, read what you're writing as you're getting Carpal Tunnel? Yeah, sure. And hopefully if I do get carpal tunnel, one of you residents will um, be able to do the surgery to fix me, right? Maybe not need a surgery. You never know. Ideally, you could fix me without. Although I know you make more if you cut me open, so. <laughs> Conflicts of interest already. <laughs> totally. I'll just keep taking Advil for now. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, if you want to connect with me and learn more, the uh, best place to go is personalprofitability.com. I have both a blog and podcast there. The blog is almost 10 years old. So I'm, uh, I feel like a dinosaur in blogger years. On the podcast, anywhere you find podcasts, um, I've actually have a giveaway also for you guys because you were listening today. I have a personal profitability boot camp that is totally free. It's a week long. You get an email from me every morning for that week with a link to a video that's about 10 to 15 minutes long to help you get on your path to personal profitability. You can sign up at personalprofitability.com slash boot camp and get started there. Like I said, no strings attached. It's free and, and I'd love to see you there. Awesome, man. Well, I'm actually going to go sign up for it because I, I didn't realize that, that you had that going. I'm going to check it out. I'll make sure I link all this stuff in the show notes. You know, Eric, thank you so much for being on. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It, it was a lot of fun and doctors keep at it. You've got a great financial future ahead. I, you know, I hope you guys were able to follow along with Eric and I on this, on, on why having a personal balance sheet and a personal income statement is important. This whole concept of the business of you or thinking of yourself as a business is really important. I know that it's a little bit of upfront work, you know, not going to lie. It, it does take a little bit of time to set this up and to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. But once you've got it in kind of maintenance mode, I mean, I really spend about an hour every three months, once a quarter, updating our numbers, looking at what's going on from a high level. If things drastically went in a direction I didn't like, I would spend a lot more time on it. But for the most part, I know kind of what's going on and I have a firm grasp on it. And I know that you guys can too. So 
I really want you guys to think about putting together a balance sheet and an income statement, tracking your net worth on just a quarterly basis, getting it set up, building a really strong financial foundation. Uh, it'll serve you well going on to the future. So with that said, I, I hope you guys have a great week and talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.